What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, welcome to 30 and a Bit. My name is Pete, and each episode, I try to solve one of the questions you run into after hitting the big 3-0 together with an expert. I did this podcast for a few seasons in Dutch, where it quickly hit the top 5% most shared podcasts worldwide. That's when I realized we talk about issues not only I run into, but many can identify with. So here we are, bringing it to a bigger audience in English. Today's question is, how do I land that dream job and earn what I'm worth? Dear listeners, I am so passionate about today's subject, and I couldn't have been more lucky with today's expert. I'm so happy she's agreed to come on. This is one of the most hands-on episodes when it comes to interviewing and negotiating. What to say in an interview to nail it? You'll hear it here. Uh, how to answer to the question, what is the biggest weakness? No longer a struggle. What do you reply to a recruiter when you get an offer letter? Guess what? Stick around and you'll hear what you can use next time and earn what you're worth. The facts and figures of today. Men apply to a position even though they only meet 60% of the requirements. Women are more selective and apply to positions where they meet 100% of the requirements. Only one in four C-suite leaders is a woman, and only one in 20 is a woman of color. 49% of women leaders say flexibility is one of the top three things they consider when deciding whether to join or stay with a company, compared to 34% of men leaders. The Women in Workplace study from last year is super interesting and definitely worth looking into if you want to learn more about these stats. And a quick, friendly reminder to leave a five-star review because it really, really helps. Today's expert is not other than Sam the Mace. Sam is 34 years old and lives in Brooklyn, New York. Sam is a career confidence coach and a self-advocacy expert. I'm obsessed with those titles. She holds a BA in business from NYU, and she has helped thousands of women advocate for themselves at work, land their dream jobs, and earn what they're worth. Welcome, Sam. So happy you're here. Very happy to be here. It's great to meet you. Um, my very first question to every expert is, how are your 30s going so far? I would say for me, my 30s are a time of growth and evolution, which is uh, a really great feeling to have. I think my 30s are where I'm fully coming into my full self. That's amazing. Any um, big career changes? Did you start doing this when you were in your 30s? I did. I started this two years ago. So when I was 32, um, I launched Power Mood. 
And I would say, I don't think I could have done this in my 20s. I don't think I had the confidence and the mindset to be able to do something that felt this bold and this powerful at that time. So I think turning 30 actually helped me realize I I wanted to go the entrepreneurial route and I didn't want to work for somebody else, but I needed that foundation of my 20s to to come to that realization. And also working for a boss is giving you the experience to build out this business. That's 100% right. I learned what not to do. Uh, In my 20s, (laughs) I learned how not to be a leader, how not to be a boss. And then I took all of that information and started my business. Amazing. Tell us, how did you start doing what you're doing? So kind of by accident, like with a lot of folks who end up starting a business, I coached friends and family just sort of on the side when I was working in corporate. I had some friends coming to me saying, oh, I heard you negotiated your salary. How did you do that? Or, hey, I'm having this problem with this toxic boss. I need your advice. So it really just started as me giving advice to friends and family. Um, I'm an advice giver. I'm a listener type of person. So I, I kind of started casually. And then I realized, oh, I think people might want this information more broadly. So I decided to start the Instagram and the TikTok platforms to share career advice with women on a larger scale when I realized it was it was working. I helped a friend negotiate a, a much higher salary and she was like, I think you might want to expand on this. <laughs> and I'm so happy you're here. And I'll explain more on why I'm so excited when we get to the negotiations part, because I'm so passionate about that. And I'll explain why. But first, you need to nail an interview in order to get an offer letter. So let's jump into how to um, present yourself best in interviews first. You have created the what method to crush an interview. Can you explain us what it is? Yes. So the what method stands for what you do, achievements, and tie-in. Essentially, it's an elevator pitch. So it's a very effective way to answer when an interviewer says, tell me a little bit about you. Tell me about yourself. Usually that's like the opening question in an interview. And This is a way to answer that question effectively, concisely, rather than rambling. So I think a lot of us go for like a rambling answer when an interviewer says, tell me a little bit about you. There's a temptation to rehash our entire CV, our entire resume. But if you stick with the WAT method, you're really only giving the highlights, an elevator pitch of you at the highest level, your top achievements, why you're ready for this role, and how you're a great fit. Can you give us an example? Sure. So let's use, I used to work in training and development in the corporate world. So I'll give you that example. So W, who you are. So I'm a learning and development director with 11 years of experience in the hospitality space. I, at my last job, I built training strategy from the ground up, hired over 70 people, trained, coached, and mentored three leaders, and built out our LMS platform from the ground up as well. I'm so excited about this role in particular because it will give me an opportunity to work in a brand new vertical that I haven't gotten to work in before, but I can apply my experience for people, my passion for people and culture, my experience with people operations, and bring that to this role in an exciting new way. So that's like one example of how you would phrase that. That's amazing. I'm like, I'm blown away already. And I guess the good thing about this is... um, You'll get some version of the tell us something about yourself question in every interview. So you can learn this by heart and just 
say it in the most strong and confident way because you know what you need to say. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. You can have this written down. You can have this ready. You can have it memorized. As long as it sounds conversational, I think it's, it's a great way to go. And just like an elevator pitch, I think they say it's like a minute. Um, should you also try to st- stick to like b- under a minute for this answer? Yeah, I think a minute or less is great because you're going to hold the attention of the person listening. Sometimes uh, we lose attention spans. Some of us recruiters are not always listening after a certain point. <laughs> like when we look at a resume, some recruiters stop after the about me, after the headline. Um, so, yeah, I would keep it under a minute. Keep it punchy. Amazing. Another big question that comes up in a lot of interviews is what is your biggest weakness? What is a good answer to that? Because you should never actually give your biggest weakness, right? Well, so, okay. So there's like a three-step process to this. So for biggest weakness, I know everybody hates this question. It's kind of annoying, but you want to, there's three things to remember. One, you want to pick a real weakness. Two, you want to say how you're actively working on it and growing. And three, don't pick a weakness that is a core requirement of the job at hand, right? So like if you're going into a job in marketing, your weakness is not going to be communication, right? So (laughs) as long as your weakness is, is genuine to you, you can share an example of how you're working on it. So like an example of this would be, you know, maybe someone struggles with public speaking and they're going for a job that doesn't have public speaking as a requirement. You could say, yeah, something I'm working on right now is public speaking and the way I present myself in front of large groups. I've been working on it and challenging myself to put myself in situations where I am the center of attention and I do have to speak publicly. And I've noticed that I've learned a lot from doing that and I find my skills are improving, but that's an area where I'm hoping to grow. So something like that. So you're being honest, you're being real, um, you're letting them know that you're working on this weakness, but at the same time, you're not shooting yourself in the foot by saying you have some weakness that is actually an essential duty of this job. What are some other things you can really prepare yourself for when it comes to um, stepping into an interview? A couple of things I would say, always do your behavioral question research. So When you're getting ready for your interview, I would do a quick Google search, whatever your title is, and then behavioral interview questions. So marketing manager, behavioral interview questions. Um, That'll give you the list of the most common interview questions for your industry. And behavioral questions are the ones that start with, tell me about a time when. So tell me about a time when you delivered for a client. Tell me about a time when you disagreed with your supervisor, things like that. Uh, And you want to just prepare effective, concise examples from your work history that can speak to those questions. I had no idea that this was a thing, that you could Google that. Yes, you can and you should. Yeah, that's a very, (laughs) very good uh, tip. Um, A lot of the times you get asked what your salary requirements are or salary wishes. I'm not sure if that is legally allowed to be asked. It's, I think, a bit of a gray zone. But if you do get that question, what is the best answer? Yeah, you, you're definitely going to get that question. Um, and usually it'll be something along the lines of, what are your salary expectations? So the way that I like to answer that is to ask them first. So it's like a two-step process. So first you're going to say, you know what? I'm really excited about this role. It is quite early on in the interview process. So would you be able to share the range for this position? Sometimes they'll go ahead and share. They'll say, great. Yeah, absolutely. The range is, you know, 115 to 140K. 
And then you can say, perfect, that's within my range. I'm at the upper end of that range. If they can't disclose or won't disclose, which sometimes they won't, that's when you can go ahead and share your number. Um, and this is why doing your salary market research ahead of time is so important because the last thing you want to do is undercut yourself with a number that's too low. So make sure when you do give them that number, you're aiming higher. You can say, great. So based on my unique experience and my market value and the achievements that I'm bringing to this role, I'm asking for 140 k Is that within your budget or is that within your range? Always ask the question because you don't want to be in a place where you're unsure. You want to put them in a position to give you clarity. And then when it comes to negotiating and you have said that they're that your uh, expectations is 140 and they come back with exactly, well, they often would lowball it a little bit, I suppose, like 130 or 135. Can you still negotiate and be like, I actually want 150 or are they going to look at you weirdly? You can. Um, and the way you can phrase that is, you know, something to the, along the lines of, now that I've fully gone through this interview process and I understand the full scope of this role and what it entails, uh, I am going to be asking for 150k. Can we make that happen? That's totally standard to to change where you're at, you know, sh- slightly, um, especially when you haven't been through all of the rounds of interviews yet. You don't have a handle on what this company is like, what this role is actually like, what the asks are of you, what type of uh, goals you're going to need to be hitting. So once you have more information, you are in a better position to up that salary. What are some red flags during the interview process? So there's a few things I think you should look out for as a candidate. Uh, If you're noticing that everyone you're meeting with during the interview process seems burnt out, unhappy, low morale, that's definitely a red flag. If the interview process itself is disorganized and chaotic, that's a red flag that the company's internal structure is disorganized and chaotic as well. Um, I would also say if they have trouble answering your questions about the role, that's also a red flag that they haven't fully scoped out this role or that they're unclear on expectations. So those are just a couple of things that are important to look for. And what gives you a good idea of um, what the company is doing while you're in the process? Like what are some good questions to ask? Like to see if they are a fit for you? Yeah. So it can be subjective. But I would say for me and for a lot of folks right now, what we're looking for is a business that aligns with our core values. So kind of important to know your core values going into an interview so that way you know if they align with you or not. So if you really care about diversity, equity, and inclusion, environmental sustainability, employee experience, whatever those values are that you really care about, you would want to make sure this company aligns with that. So know what you're looking for going in and ask the questions strategically so that way you can understand where they stand. So for me, work-life balance is really important. So I would always ask the interviewer something like, what benefits do you have in place that support employee work-life balance? You know, just like a very direct question like that so I can get an understanding. Or I would ask like, what hours do you typically keep? And is there an expectation to answer emails on the weekends or after hours? Things like that are really important to me. So I would always ask those types of questions. And how do we turn interviews into offers with your care method? Glad you asked. Uh, So (laughs) the care method goes back to what we were discussing earlier about behavioral interview questions. So this is something you can do to prepare yourself before the interview that will almost guarantee your success. 
Like I think 90% of interview success is in the preparation. And then the 10% you deliver day of, but most of it is in your prep. So that's where care method comes in in preparing your answers. So it stands for context, action, result, and evolution. So context is the situation. Action is the action you took in that situation. Result is the result of the action you took. And evolution is the part people usually forget, which is how you grew as a result of dealing with this situation. So every care example is something real from your work history, something that you went through and that you grew from as a result. So if they were to ask you, like, tell me about a time you really delivered for a client, you would have an example prepared using the care method, such as, yeah, absolutely. So this one time at my last job, I had a client who was notoriously really difficult, but um, I eagerly took them on because I wanted the challenge and I took the time to get to know their needs. I took the time to get to know the customer and everything that they were looking for from us. I took notes and eventually I was able to get this customer to sign on for 30% more than they had last year. And I was able to do that by strategically understanding their needs, doing tailored presentations for them and working with my team to deliver customized solutions for this particular difficult client. At the end of the day, they were so excited that they increased their business. And I was really, really proud to have dealt with that and seen it turn out in such a great way. So I learned a lot from this scenario that if somebody is difficult, you would want to tailor the service to them. And that worked for me. Something along those lines of like sharing a real story from your work history and how you problem solved. One thing I started doing at my previous job to prepare for the uh, quarterly reviews and especially the end of year where you also like could go into salary negotiations, renegotiations and um, get more equity. Uh, so every time I would finish a project, I would write down what I did and what the results were. So I guess this is kind of similar. What you want to do is keep track of this, keep a document, but also keep emailing it to yourself. So you have this information because if you've been doing a job for a while, like in an interview, you can just bring up an example that happened three years ago. They don't know. They mm-hmm. just know you just had a great result. 100%. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think we call it a brag sheet a lot too, like in my book and in some of my teachings, we call it a brag sheet. So like, yeah, start your brag sheet. Day one of a new job, start your brag sheet. Or like you said, email it to yourself so you don't forget. Because we forget, you know, when it comes to performance reviews, when it comes to evaluations, like we don't remember everything that we did all the impact that we made. So it's important to keep a record. At the end of the interview, the hiring manager or the recruiter usually asks you, do you have any questions for me? And if I were, if I were doing interviews with people that I was hiring as a hiring manager, I would always be a little bit disappointed if they're like, no, I don't have any questions. I'm like, surely you have questions about the role. But what are some good examples that people just can have up their sleeve and just like ready to fire off? Sure. Yeah. And you're right. I think it is a red flag when someone is like, I have no questions. It's kind of like, well, you're not, are you not curious? Where's your curiosity? You know, so that's definitely a red flag. A couple questions. So I would say know your audience. Uh, So depending on who you're asking, if you're interviewing with a person who is not familiar with the role, like the initial recruiter or someone from HR, I would ask company specific questions. If you're interviewing with a hiring manager, I would ask role specific questions. So role specific questions are for a couple of them would be, 
How is success defined and measured in this role? What makes someone successful here? What are the top goals for this person to accomplish in the first three months, six months? What are the biggest challenges this person will face? One of my favorites is, what is the onboarding and training process like for this role? Mm. Um, what professional development opportunities will I have in this role? What roles have other folks moved into and been promoted into from here? Um, and then company-specific are the broader questions. So if you're interviewing with someone who doesn't know the role as well but knows the company culture, you could ask about work-life balance. It depends on who you're talking to. Kind of tailor your questions based on your audience. I love that. So many great examples. People should definitely write these down and just have them ready. And remember, please ask questions at the end of the interview. It is so important. And also as a recruiter, make sure that you leave the last five minutes to answer these questions. Okay. Off to negotiating. We have nailed the interview because of all the tips you just gave. And, um, the reason I'm so excited to talk to you and passionate about this is during my first sort of bigger job at an American tech company, I got offered a base salary and equity, and I didn't negotiate on my salary, but I negotiated on my equity, and I was able to raise that by about 10%. So I thought I did a really good job. But then I started the role, which was in recruiting, and I realized that I did not negotiate well at all. Then this, the company I went to afterwards, I went in hard. They couldn't do anything about my base salary. I really tried. I did negotiate really hard on my equity because I was like, well, if you cannot do anything about my salary, I want more equity. And I was able to nearly triple that in the negotiations. So since then, I've just been saying to everyone, never accept a first offer because there's always room wherever. So that's why I'm so excited to talk to you because I need people that are listening to know that you never accept the first offer, no matter how excited you are. Yes, this is this is where I stand on this issue. I stand firmly uh, with you <laughs> on this. Um, the first offer is never going to be their best and final. Like in human resources, we call it the best and final is like the, the actual t- cap that they have on their budget. So yeah, the, the first offer is merely a starting point for negotiation. Um, negotiation is a very common business practice globally. It's, it's expected. Um, it's common. And I think it's just important for people to remember, especially women, that we are providing our superpowers to this organization. We're adding value and we deserve to be paid what we're worth for that. This is an exchange. Another reason I think it's really important to always negotiate and sometimes women, I think we can relate to this. Sometimes we do things for others more than for ourselves. So keep in mind that every time you negotiate, you're not just doing it for you. You're doing it for the next woman that comes after you. So you're raising the bar for those who follow. So that's another reason to keep in the back of your mind to always remember to negotiate. Amazing. Those are two really, really good points. And I think also as a recruiter, if people wouldn't negotiate with me, I'd be so disappointed because it's the most fun part of the job, first of all. But also I'm like, no, you should look at my piece of paper with how much I can give you. You just need to let me know you want more and I there's room. <laughs> totally. <laughs> can you give us a good example of what a good counteroffer uh, is like? Like how would you reply to the recruiter? Sure. Um, yeah. So the language around this, we always want it to be collaborative. I like to say negotiation is a collaboration, not a confrontation. It is a collaboration. So I would say something like, 
Thank you so much for this offer. I'm really excited about the possibility of joining this awesome team. Based on my unique experience, my industry achievements, and the value I'm bringing to this role, can we meet at 140K? You always want to use we. We is very important. Collaborative language is very important in negotiation. It's we. It's a collective. It's collaborative. Uh, but yeah, you can you can express gratitude and ask for what you're worth in the same sentence. Like I think a lot of women feel like I can't ask for what I'm worth. I can't ask for more. Like they gave me a great offer. Like if I ask for more, I'm going to seem ungrateful. Like that's I hear that a lot. Like I don't want to appear ungrateful. But you can express gratitude and ask for what you're worth exactly at the same time. So that's how I would say it. Like even if the first offer is a great offer, the company has more room, which means they actually value your ta- your talent and what you're bringing to the table even more than what you think. Like if you're if you're agreeing with the first offer, but there was another like ten or twenty k on the table, they actually think you're worth a lot more. One thing that uh, gets offered as well, just like what I had at my last two previous jobs, is equity. How should we think about their first offer uh, when it comes to equity? Um, I would say you can always negotiate for more equity. Always ask. There's no harm in asking. I think you don't want to leave equity on the table. So I would say ask for 15 to 20% more equity. Amazing. 15 to 20%. I love that. And is there, do you have a similar range for salary? Like try to go up by 10% or is there some sort of number? There isn't because it really depends on your individual number. So depending on where you're at, like if you are someone who's making like 150K and they bring you in an offer at 150K, I would still say negotiate for more because you know that they hit your they hit your magic number but clearly there's room so I think it depends on the situation but yeah I always I would say like yeah 15 to 20 percent rule applies tack on tack on more on the top base salary is the most important equity is great you know we more equity is good but never sacrifice or compromise on base salary that's always the priority in a negotiation I say like take regret off the table. Another good reason to negotiate is to take regret off the table because when you negotiate, you know that you tried, you know that you put it all out there. So if you don't, you're just going to be regretting. So if you're someone who is regretful, take it off the table and negotiate. (laughs) And if you lend at seven and a half or 10% more than the initial offer, I think you've done a great job. And also if you do... If you go up with like the 15 or 20%, maybe you'll hit a spot where the recruiter is like, this is the absolute max we can give you for the role, which is also great to know if that's like five or 10%, even if it's 3%, you're like, okay, well then at least I know that I really got everything out of it. So you think you can negotiate both salary and equity in the same email? Yes. And, and it's up to you if you want to do it over email or phone. Um, so if the recruit, I would follow the recruiter's lead. So if the recruiter emails you the offer, you can email your, your counter offer back. If they call you with an offer, I would arrange a call to discuss back. I would just follow whatever method they did. Okay. That's a really good tip as well. And when they call you, always just say, thank you for the offer. I'm really excited by the opportunity. I'm going to call you back. Hang up the phone and think about what the next step is. A hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you so much for this offer. This is exciting. Um, when can you email me all of the details so I can review? 
And then, you know, I'll get back to you with any questions that I have, but I'm super excited. Yeah. So you're never accepting over the phone. You don't want to limit your negotiation power in any way. So you express gratitude, express excitement, but you're not committing. Um, If they say that they cannot go up in salary and there's no equity, or maybe they cannot go up in equity as well, are there other areas where you can maybe negotiate? Totally. You could negotiate a bonus, whether that's yearly bonus percentage, quarterly bonus percentage. Uh, You can negotiate for more paid time off. You can negotiate flexible work, remote work, education reimbursement, tuition reimbursement, relocation reimbursement. Um, skill-based certifications that are related to the role the company can pay for. Those are a couple of the things you can also negotiate. Oh, there's so many. There's a lot more than I could have thought of. Oh, that's amazing. There's so much room to to negotiate on these things. Yeah, for sure. And I I know base salary is always like the most exciting one that people want, but in some industries and in some places, that's just like, it's sometimes it's locked or it's like a locked band. Sometimes government work is like that. It depends on where you live. But um, yeah, it is great to get get everything out of it, you know, really squeeze and get all the juice you can. Um, pay time off is really important. So I know a lot of folks that like to negotiate for more pay time off and in addition to more base, in addition to more equity. And I think it's also important for people to realize that if you play hardball with the recruiter, it's not like they're going to drop the offer all of a sudden. They'll always just come back to you and be like, hey, this is our last, our best and final offer, as you call it. I think maybe sometimes people are also scared that the offer is just going to disappear. They're like, oh, no, she's she's being too, too difficult. They'll never think that, right? That's right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point to bring up. I, I hear that a lot. I think that is just a confidence thing. Uh, we worry, are they going to just take this offer off the table because they think I'm difficult? No, uh, they don't want to start this interview <laughs> process over. That's the last thing they want to do is like start this interview process from the beginning. They have you a fantastic candidate. Now they just want to collaborate with you to reach a salary that works for everybody. We want to make everybody happy. So I would just look at it like that. Like Again, it truly is a collaboration. This is the next step. And if they can't collaborate with you on salary have a conversation like adults, I think that's a red flag uh, for that red business. Red flag, yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Wait, if you're not in a place mentally or financially to negotiate at the start of a job, um, are there still opportunities later in your when you're already working? Yeah. Um, so if you don't if you don't negotiate right away, which is recommended, you can wait. You can ask when your performance will be evaluated. Um, and will there be a compensation adjustment along with that evaluation? You can also present a business case at any time for a raise. So provided you have evidence to back it up. So if you're hitting your goals, you're delivering metrics, you're working outside the scope of your job description, you can put together a business case and ask for a raise at any time. After three months, six months, a year, whenever you have tangible achievements to back it up. If you're talking to a male colleague, that might be the case that he's making more Um, how would you go about presenting that case to your manager? Yeah. So this is interesting. Okay. So when you get that information that someone's making more than you and it's, and you're a woman and it's a man, you're going to take that information. You're going to stick it in your back pocket and then (laughs) you're going to go to your supervisor with a business case of your accomplishments. So in HR, we call it a business case. This is like the justification for asking for an increase in pay. 
And basically, it's just three to four bullets of how you've impacted the business at a high level. So how your work is tied to the company's goals and or revenue. And and that's fairly easy to put together if you have a brag sheet that you can just pull from. So you just pull from that brag sheet, you have your business case, uh, and then go to your boss and present that and say, hey, based on these achievements, I'd like to ask for X amount. That's your first step. So, and then hopefully from there, on the merit of your business case and your achievements, you will get the increase. Now, if they come back to you and say, we can't do that, that's that's above the range, that's when you grab out of your back pocket <laughs> this part. <laughs> so then you can say, so I'd like confirmation that I'm being paid equitably. I have information that um, another person on the team is making X. So can you give me confirmation that I'm being paid equitably? That, that's the phrase. You don't need to say who the person is. You don't need to say the gender. You can just share the information that you have and ask if you're being paid equitably. And they will need to go to HR and get you that answer. So that might help you get closer to where you need to go. Sometimes even then, they they won't match your pay. So that's kind of your signal to move forward and, and work somewhere that will value you. The final question I ask every expert is, if you could give the listeners one takeaway from this episode, what would it be? I would say never be the one to say no to yourself. So let them tell you no. Like, don't don't tell yourself no. Don't say, you know what? I'm not going to negotiate. I'm not worth it. I can't do it. Like, let them tell you no, but never be the one to say no to you. Amazing. That is an incredible takeaway. Tell us about the book that you've got coming out in April. I would love to. And it's actually right here. It's me, <laughs> a, a cartoon. Um, this book is the ultimate guide to hacking and navigating the corporate system, cultivating your career and commanding your value. It's one of the few career books out there written by a millennial woman for millennial and Gen Z women specifically. Anyone can read it. Anyone can learn from it. Anyone who wants to be more confident in the workplace um, there's even information in here about how to be a better ally to women in the workplace. So get this for your brothers, your uncles, your cousins, your boyfriend, whoever. Um, and then especially for girls and women, um, it's a really important book uh, to have a foundation of self-advocacy in your work and in your life. Where can we pre-order it? It's called A Power Mood. Yeah, it's called Power Mood. You can just Google Power Mood book. It's on Amazon Books. It's on Booktopia, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, um, bookshop.org. Wherever you prefer to get your books, it's available. Amazing. And if people want some more info right now, you have guides on your website, right? That people can buy and download? Yes, you can go to apowermood.com um, for all of my digital career tools, interview guide, negotiation guide, resume builder guide. All of that is there. And your Instagram is amazing. You have great videos with a lot of tips and tricks, like great takeaways in like 30 seconds. So I would highly recommend everyone to follow that as well. A power mood. All right. I hope, but I also think we've given uh, a lot of amazing tools and uh, tips and tricks like the brag sheet, try to negotiate with a uh, first offer back of like 15 to 20%. Um, oh, I wanted to mention for people to figure out what their um, salary range is, Glassdoor is a good website, right? 
I like Glassdoor. I also like LinkedIn job search because there's a lot of salary transparency there. So if you just search your title on LinkedIn jobs, you can see what other companies are paying for that same title. I also like payscale.com. Thank you so much. I'm so excited we uh, had this chat and hopefully everyone that listens will always counter offer from, from now on. Agreed. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Great chat. Thank you. Thank you. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.